0: Awesome. Well, good morning. What an exciting morning we have in store for us. Not only do we get to worship together, but we get to have a budget meeting later, um, and that's that's I'm super hyped for that. So, and then we're gonna go build gingerbread houses, which is equal hype. So, what we're gonna do this morning is is in our first week of Advent consider uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to be thinking a little bit just about three sections in Luke over the course of the next three weeks and we'll culminate on Christmas Eve, um, which is the last Sunday of Advent. Um, so take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and we're actually going to be looking at verses 46 through 55 this morning. Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. And because this is the first week of Advent, this is where we're going, the story of Christmas is one that's completely familiar to us um, because, because we live in a society where Christmas is a big deal. Um, and yet, sometimes this story or the text that we're going to look at over the course of the next three weeks sometimes become an afterthought for us. And we don't want that to be the case. We want Christmas to be a time of year where we slow down, where we consider the biblical text when we're eating as a family, when we're traveling, we're on the road, uh, wherever we are, whenever we get the chance, um, we need to be reading from, say, Luke chapters 1 and 2 um, to get a better grasp of what we're celebrating. And many of us are out of practice. Many of us are out of practice. When we come to a text like this, many of us are out of practice when we read something like this and it slips quickly from our mind. Uh, But we need to be asking questions when we come to a text like this. How can we be asking the correct questions when we come to a text like this? Um, And let me just give you a a couple of examples. Oftentimes when we read a text, we think to ourselves, how is this? What does this do? What does this mean for me? How am I being impacted by this? And why is it important for my day-to-day life? Um, That's a good question to ask. Those are good questions to ask, but they're not always the first questions we should be asking. Um, We need to ask questions like, what is this teaching me about God, and what does this teach me about myself, and how is God calling me to live in light of what I just read? And we're not only do we need to do that individually, but we need to do it corporately. We need to do it as the body, as a group of people who come together regularly to celebrate the truth of who God is. We need to be looking together at the text and asking these questions. So reading the Bible, it can be intimidating. It's not, it's not an easy thing to always understand. Sometimes it's fairly difficult to, to get an, our, our minds around. Um, But repetitions is what strengthens our muscles. Repetitions is what strengthens our Bible-reading muscles. And so we need to continue to spend time in God's Word, both individually and together as a body. And so when we approach the Bible, we must recognize that the power to read it is inside of us. That's the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells inside of us and gives us the ability to understand correctly what God is communicating to us about who He is, who we are, and what's required required of us. So, I really enjoy visual storytelling and so when we get to a text like this and we see Mary rejoicing and magnifying the Lord, we think we want to we want to give it a visual so like superhero movies and Lord of the Rings and, and all of these fantastic visuals that we have in our, in our society. Um, one reason that we like things that, um, that, that, that have massive explosions and things like that, that do, those things do really well at the box office. They generate billions of dollars in, in revenue um, because they provide us with an extraordinary experience. They provide us with the ability of sort of this otherworldly experience. These fantastical people fighting these cosmic forces in these incredible settings with all of this incredible stuff going on. We can visualize that and see that going on right in front of us. Um, And our society loves those things because they provide extraordinary experiences. But I'm convinced that this kind of thinking has really permeated our understanding of church. It's really, it's really permeating our understanding of what the Word of God is. And it's it has shaped us and changed us and made us into something uh, that maybe we were never intended to be. Um, our society would characterize a success, something successful because it draws a crowd or because a bunch of people come around it and because they're excited about it and they, they want to learn more about it. And we want to say, my life was changed by this one thing, by this otherworldly experience that I've had. And we point to amazing experiences that really altered or formed us as people. So, like lights in the context of the church, like lights, awesome performances musically, a really engaging, inspiring preaching. But the one thing that we can take away from the account of Jesus' birth as we read it in Matthew, or in, in Luke, um, so long in Matthew, in Luke 1 and 2. That that's not the case. That in fact, it's quite the opposite. Something that always strikes me when I read the story of Christmas in Scripture is how not extraordinary it is how simple it is, how it meets people exactly where they are. There's no big explosions and banks, and we see that in a couple of places. Obviously, it's a mysterious, um, mysterious miraculous event that takes place. Then we see the angels appearing to the shepherds and things, but really just people existing, living in their everyday life. So when we approach Scripture, we approach Luke 1 and 2 in particular, when we look at these things, we, we don't see explosions to the sky or something otherworldly. And it's easy to set this aside in, in favor of other things that happen in our world because they're more impactful or because they feel more impactful. It causes us to feel something different than we experience in our daily lives. Every single moment of every single day in the monotony of lives, we want something, we want something different, something to break in and and pluck us out of the daily grind. Um, But we don't go to God's word to feel something. Rather, we go to God's word to know God. That's why we go here. And that's why we seek to understand it. And when we pursue him, and we know him more. Our love for him will grow and grow. And all else will begin to pale in comparison. No longer will we seek the experiences, the explosions, the, the, the otherworldly things. But we'll seek God. We'll seek Jesus. And we'll seek the kingdom of heaven. So take time in the text this holiday season. Please do this. Spend time. There are so many things that you could be doing. And a lot of them are really good. But are they the best thing? Are they the best time, the best way, use of your time? Decorating, Christmas shopping, whatever. You must prioritize your spiritual health, your spiritual understanding, your understanding of what's going on in this text, above all else. And not only our spiritual, your spiritual health, but you need to prioritize the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting next to you this morning. You need to prioritize and take their spiritual health and make that a priority in, in your life. Not just to you as an individual, but the people around you also. So we all need to slow down and we need not to not get caught up in the holiday or what the holidays can become. But really set aside time to consider the birth of the Savior of the world and what that means. And so in our time together, we're going to consider poetic sections of of the first two chapters of Luke. And and this morning, this song of praise that Mary erupts and overflows out of Mary um, in verses 46 through 55. Um, And and these three poetic sections, these three songs that are sung in Luke 1 and 2, are sung by three different people. One by Mary, one by Zechariah, and one by Simeon. And these three people, like I said, burst into prayerful song as a result of joyful realization that God was redeeming his people. So the first of these, again, is Mary. Let's look at this text. Let's read this together, verses 46 through 55 in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked at the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and, he has, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. So this song in the history of the church, this song has been called, it's a Latin term, it's called the Magnificat. And it just comes from the first word. The first part of Mary's song is, my soul magnifies the Lord. It means magnify. It means magnify. Magnificat means magnify. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And the reality of this song is that while it flows out of Mary, it is deeply rooted in Scripture. What I said just a moment ago about us needing to be, uh, needed to be saturated and, and, and continually in God's Word during this time of year is clearly seen in Mary. And how she communicates what she is feeling as one who has just been shown immense favor by God. And so we're going to focus then on three things that we see in this text. And the first is that. Saturation in Scripture. saturated in Scripture. The second is God's love for the lowly. And then third and finally, and where we will conclude this morning, is making much of the Almighty. Making much of the Almighty. So first... Let's look at this, saturation in Scripture. Um, In the midst of, again, in the midst of crazy holiday, we have to carve out time to saturate ourselves in Scripture. If you dip a toe in Scripture every once in a while, it's not going to impact you. It's not going to form you. We must saturate. We must be immersed in the truth of God's Word. And so Luke provides us. Again, Mary is this incredible example She is this incredible example of what it means to be. This is a a 14, maybe 15-year-old girl who, who is communicating some incredible truths about who God is as they bubble up and overflow out of her. She just found out that she was pregnant, despite never being with a man. And yet her response is that when she visits Elizabeth, is one of praise and incredible joy in understanding of what God is doing. And so first, what do we see? What do you see that Mary says? First, she she is steeped in God's word, but she is so in a humble way. Look at Mary's humility. Look at what she says in verse 48. For he has looked at the humble estate of his servant. What an incredible thing for Mary to say. Again, she is. this is not a short-sighted view. This is a clear recognition that the God of the universe is coming to save his people. He has come to earth to save his people. He's using mysterious and simple ways. And of course, when the angel appeared, if you have kids over there this morning, they're, they're, they're talking about the angel appearing to Mary. And, and when the angel appeared to Mary, of course her thoughts were, what do I do? What do I do? How in the world is this happening to me? I'm pregnant. I'm not married. I've never been with a man. What is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to me? But, but look at her faith. She's commended for her faith. Her relative, Elizabeth, who actually like gives her her own personal beatitude here. In verse 45, if you just go up before our text. She says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth acknowledges the faith of Mary. She acknowledges the faith of Mary. What is is faith? It's the belief that she exhibits. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Faith is trust in the fulfillment of the promises of God. That is what faith is. And Elizabeth commends Mary for her faith. Elizabeth gives her this this statement of favor. Blessed, a pronouncement of God's favor on Mary. And Mary received God's favor first. We need to understand this. When the angel comes to Mary, he doesn't do so because of something she's done or something that she's generated in herself, but because but because God shows her favor. Because God shows her favor. Look at me with verse 28, again in chapter 1, verse 28. And he came to her, the angel came to her, and said, Greetings, this is how he greets her. Greetings, O favored one. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And then the angel gives her this promise that she believes, that she trusts, that she has faith will come to fruition in verses 30, 31, 32, and 33. He says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And and his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary received the promise and believed. How was that going to come about? I'm sure she had no idea. I'm sure she had no clue how that was going to happen. And yet she received the promise of God, and she believed. Again, notice that Mary responds, though, even to this, even to this great favor that God has shown to her in humility. She responds in humility. Watch how quickly Mary turns this song that she sings that bubbles up and overflows out of her. Look how quickly she she turns this thing away from her and onto God. She uses this, this, her own state of blessing and God's work on her behalf into praise for God. She doesn't linger on her role, but quickly moves to the greatness of God and what he has done and he is doing. And so there's a profound lesson for us here. There's a profound lesson for us. When we praise God, it's usually limited to our own situations. That's a fact of the matter. We're a pretty self-consumed, myopic people. Abel and Tev, are two oldest boys, they, they, lo- they love to pray. God has been really gracious to me as a, as a father. Um, they, they like to pray before meals. They pray before bed. They tell us how they pray throughout the day. And at four and three, I, I praise God for that. Um, but most of their prayers are limited to just gratitude, to just thanksgiving. They're not quite sure. They, Abel prayed for a friend at school who got in trouble, and and he thanked God that she got in trouble. He just hasn't made that... It's. And Rebecca's looking at me. We talked about it on the way home from school. He said, He said, Oh, this happened today. I we should pray for that person. Let's pray. And he's like, Yeah, let's pray before bed tonight. Or let's pray at dinner or something like that. And I said, Okay, great. And he remembered and he recalled that that came to his mind and he prayed, but he said, Thank you, that she disobeyed, which is not. <laughs> but it's a simple, it's a simple mindset that he has and 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 yet like and yet he is Centered, this, this centered around thanksgiving and gratitude for God for what he's, he's doing. And for a four-year-old, a three-year-old, that's, that's wonderful. Um, thank you for our green beans. Thank you for our trip to grandmas and our family. And thank you for you know, we get to go to the track pool and, and all of these different things that erupt up out of them. But again, these are prayers of, of children. And when we encourage them to pray more, we encourage them to diversify in their prayers. But many of us continue to pray like children or think about God like a child. And absolutely, we want to be grateful people. We want to be thankful. We want to offer uh, our gratitude for God for what he has done for us. But what about God's character? What about his plans for the world? What about how he is redeeming a people? What about his strength and his power, his goodness and graciousness? What about his mercy and kindness shown to us? Shown not only to us, but to the whole universe. And, and Mary was a kid, again, 14 or 15 years old. Mary is a kid, but she prays with extraordinary humility and maturity. Why? Why? Because, our point, she is saturated in God's word. She knows the Old Testament inside and out. Her prayer is very similar to the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah has this outpouring of joy and praise for God. If you remember Hannah... Yeah, she was the mother of Samuel, but she she was childless. And she prayed that God would give her a son. And she prayed and she prayed God would give her a child, all while being abused by other women in her culture because of her barrenness. And God gave her a son Samuel, and she cried out a much longer prayer than Mary's, albeit, but for the first five verses clearly influences Mary. First Samuel uh, 2, 1 through 5. Hannah says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And Mary was probably influenced heavily by by the Psalms, by the Psalter. Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And Psalm 69 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And Psalm 71 19, Your righteousness, O God, reaches high into the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And Psalm 98 3 He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, and the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of your God. If your Bible has cross references, this section is littered with cross references because Mary was saturated in Scripture. And the only way that this happens is because your heart is being formed by the Word of God, by disciplining yourself to spend time in God's Word, not only individually, but together as a body. We're not being formed by culture. We're not being formed by society. We're not being formed by political parties. We're not being formed by work environments. We're not being formed by organizations. We're being formed by the Word of Christ. And a heart that is formed by the word of God will not stop praising God for his immediate goodness in our lives, but will extend, and it will extend all the way to who he says that he is and the things that he is accomplishing on a grand scale, the things that he has promised and said that he would bring about. This is not just limited to 2017, but for all of human history before and everything that will come after. This is not just limited to North Dakota, but across the entire globe and the universe. God is fulfilling his purposes and his promises at every moment of every single day. God's reign and rule extends to it all, and therefore he should be praised. And we see that in Mary's song. Mary had the immense benefit of having that promise tailored to her. It was given to her in a very specific way, through an angel. And the pivot point for all of history, God's plan of redemption, she was going to be his mother. so our application of this text should not be to look at the promise tailored to Mary and think that we should receive a promise equally tailored to us or equally as specific. But we shouldn't look for that kind of promise that our kid would be the president or a professional athlete or that we would graduate with a certain GPA or that we absolutely get that promotion at work or our dream job. Rather, we should see that God has promised us to benefit from the king taking his throne. And that's what starts here. That's what begins here. Again, Mary didn't know how that promise was going to be fulfilled, how that promise was going to come about in her world. She didn't know that Jesus was going to come and he was going to die. She saw the promise that he was going to take the throne of his father, David, and she rejoiced because she saw an earthly, an earthly end to the oppression that her people had experienced for centuries. <laughs> but what she got was a bloody cross. <laughs> and that's what we get as well, friends. A bloody cross. It doesn't end there, but extends into resurrection, and life everlasting. So we should see that God has promised us to benefit from the king here. This is the kickoff to the king taking his throne. And despite what she would give, that so she would give birth to Messiah, Mary doesn't see herself as important, but in sense she magnifies the Lord. So she magnifies the Lord. It wasn't about her, and it's not about you, It's about the glory of God. If you've received the news that the Savior of the world was coming from your line, how would you respond? In humility like Mary, or would you think that you were pretty hot stuff? If you're saturated in the Word, you'll probably think, I must be pretty important. If you're not saturated in the Word, you probably think, I must be pretty important that God would give me this task. But if you are saturated in Scripture like Mary, your thoughts will quickly move off of you and onto your great God. So what can we learn from Mary's song? First thing, then, to be saturated, we should be as a people saturated in Scripture. Second, then, more quickly, (laughs) second, then, we should note God's love for the lowly. We should note God's love for the lowly. Look at verse 52, verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And then, verse fifty-three: He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. This is this is common language, the common a common way that would be communicated in in Jewish poetry and in literature. Um, but but. For God, but but the understanding here that needs to be gleaned is that God is for the poor and the marginalized. Mary and Joseph were not rich people. They weren't. They were not of the upper crust of society. And so Jesus was born into humble circumstances, not just because he was born in a stable, but because his family was poor. So why is God for the poor and the marginalized? Why why does he have love for the lowly, like, like is communicated here in Mary's song? I think there are a couple of reasons. I think God is for the poor and the lowly because God is a generous God, and he loves not only to be generous, but to be seen as generous. God is glorified when we exalt him for his generosity. And immediately, not surprisingly, uh, Romans 8.32 comes to our minds. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave up that with greatest value. We just sang about this. His son, and also promises us all things. Not material, but eternity. Perfect relationship with him, which makes all of that stuff nothing. And so God loves for us to acknowledge his generosity. God loves for us to exalt him as a generous God. What does that look like for us? This has been a theme for us uh, over the last few weeks. Extreme and radical generosity. (laughs) Extreme and radical generosity despite your position in this world. I am incredibly grateful for you. God has been exceedingly generous to us. We are a two-year-old church. God has been exceedingly generous to us as a two-year-old church. And so many of you have been immensely, imme- not really with your finances, but with your, with, your, uh, with your time, with your energy. You have been so generous with the Buffalo City Church family. And yet we can continue to grow in this area. We can continue to grow in our generosity. What does it mean to be extreme and radical and sacrificial in our generosity? Again, we're excited. we got a budget meeting coming up. I love numbers. It's going to be so much fun. You all should stay. I know you're laughing, but I'm completely serious. Um, All of you are welcome to to stay and and to discuss finances. But um, what we want to (laughs) do is praise God together. Because we've seen an increase in, in, in our giving over the course of 2017, 12, 14%, somewhere in there, depending on where we end up this month. But we're praying, just pull back the curtain a little bit, we're praying for an even greater increase in 2018. We're usually talking about money, oh, we're talking about money. But like, we, we want to see a, a greater understanding of the use of our finances. It, it is a discipleship issue. How we look at the way that we give and the willingness to give in in every area of our lives is is a discipleship issue. What does it mean to follow Jesus in all areas of our lives, including our our finance? And so we want to be a generous church because because God loves us to mirror him in his generosity. We exalt God in in his generosity by being generous. We exalt God by being generous. I us just say this and move on. Generosity flows from an understanding of the gospel, that God has given us all things in Christ. And the gospel is the greatest act of generosity in human history. Christmas is a celebration of generosity. Christmas is a celebration of generosity. And so we faithlessly, when, we, when we faithlessly withhold our time and our energy and our finances from the local church and those in need, we minimize the gospel and we say that Christmas is about us. But it's, about, it's a celebration about the generosity of God. So God loves to be seen as generous and therefore he is for the lowly and the marginalized because his generosity is most clearly seen when those in need are taken care of. Secondly then, Secondly, so God uh, God is generous. Secondly, God is for the lowly and marginalized because he is just and righteous. And what does that mean? In the Old Testament, time and time again, the poor and the marginalized, the lowly, the disenfranchised, the discarded by society, they're cast off. But Israel, as a light to the nations, in the Old Testament, Israel as a light to the nations is supposed to, not supposed to be, not supposed to be like the rest of the world. They're supposed to care for the poor. They're supposed to care for the disabled. They're supposed to care for those who oftentimes are overlooked in society. Justice for these means being treated as valued members of society, regardless of their ability to produce results. That's how our society measures people. We measure them by results. God does not measure them by the results. He measures them because, by the fact that he has put his image on them. And so we are called to do the same. So where Israel failed to do this over and over again, and they faced judgment and exile because of it, Christmas shows us that God did not withhold his son, even to a broken, withholding, disabled people, unable to do what we were created to do. He didn't discard us or ignore us. He redeemed us. He brought us back. He made us whole. He made us new. And so we are called to do the same. It is unjust to show partiality, to treat someone differently because of the way they look or the car that they drive or the way they talk or their background or their class because God looks through the exterior and he looks at our hearts. And we're all in the same boat, sinful, broken, and needing of saving. So God is for the poor and the marginalized. He has love for the lowly because he loves to be seen as a generous God and because he is righteous and because he is just. Finally then, this will kind of serve as our conclusion this morning, we should make much of the Almighty, just like Mary. We should make much of the Almighty. That first line in Mary's song, my soul magnifies the Lord, should be the way that we live our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves in every moment of every day. And this is what it means to bring God glory. We are set apart for this purpose as a church, as God's people, to bring God glory. And this song that Mary sings is called the Magnificat because she says that her soul magnifies the Lord. We think about magnification. What is that? I love this illustration by John Piper. He talks about magnification. He says there are two ways to magnify something, as a microscope or as a telescope. A microscope shows us something that's small and makes it visible. That's not the case with our God. A telescope looks out at something that's immense and brings it in so that we can have a greater understanding of it. A telescope takes something that is big and gives us a better glimpse of just how immense it actually is. Piper writes this, We're not called to be microscopes. We are called to be telescopes, Christians are not called to be con men who magnify their product all out of proportion to reality when they know the competitor's product is far superior. There is nothing and nobody superior to God. And so the calling of those who love God is to make his greatness begin to look as great as it really is. And then the whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. Feel, think and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is. Be a telescope for the world of an infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. So Mary magnifies God by speaking of his faithfulness and responding to his promises. We should do the same. We should do the same. We should see what Mary sings and then we should make it our song. So what do we do? How do we live according to what's been done for us? Several things. First thing that we talked about, we should act in humility. Just like Mary, we make much of God by moving our thoughts from self to our creator. If the majority of our thoughts, if the majority of the thoughts you have are consumed with self, you will not be making much of God. You will not be making much of God. You will not be magnifying the Lord like Mary. You will not make much of him. You will reduce him to a small insignificant part of your life, like a, like a vending machine that maybe you would rem- remember to give thanks to for those Funyuns. So first, act in humility. What do we do? Secondly, pray. In Ephesians 1, 16-18, I love this. Paul writes this. I do not cease to give thanks for you. He's, he's commending these, the, his Ephesian readers. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. This is important. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? Like Paul, pray, not only for yourself, but for the whole Buffalo City Church family, that we would have a spirit of wisdom, that God would reveal himself to us in Scripture, And that the eyes of our hearts would be open to see and to know God. And then because of this, that our hope would not be built on the president or our house or cars or our bank accounts, but on the understanding that God has made a way for us and saved us from our sin in Christ Jesus. Prayer like this is not our natural inclination. We are inclined to pray like four-year-olds and three-year-olds, thanking God and exclusively talking to God about our immediate circumstances and situations. But we need to have our hearts reoriented. We need to have our hearts reoriented onto God and overflow, have it bubble up inside of us the way that it bubbles up and out of Mary. And then thirdly and finally, Practice praising God. Practice praising God. Just like Mary, magnify the the Lord like a telescope. Show the world how big he is. (laughs) Be generous. Show others the love of God. Put to death sin in your own life, in the monotony of your life cleaning up after kids, making dinner, filing that report at work for the 10,000th time, sitting through your sixth meeting of the day, whatever it is, make much of God. This is what it means to, like Peter tells us, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This will feel strange. It would, it would, it would look really weird if one of you stood up in the middle of your day and said what Mary says here. Why? Why does it look strange? Because we're out of practice. We need to do it anyway. It would feel weird if we broke out a song. <laughs> one way that we can practice as parents, one way that we can practice this is, is to sing to our kids. I sing to my kids. I'm not a great singer. And my kids, are good with it. I still sing to them anyways they don't care. There will come a day where they do care. They'll say, Dad, you're a terrible singer. Stop singing. And I will, I'll keep doing it. Because it's not about me. It's not about, it wasn't about Mary. She makes it clear. It's not about her. It's about the glory of God and what he's doing for his people here, what he has done for his people. It's not about her. It's not about me that I'd be singing. So as we conclude this morning, then we're, we're going we're to sing one more song. We're going to have that amazing budget meeting after the words. But we're going we're to conclude um, with one song. We're going to sing about how Jesus took us from death to life. And Mary stood and sang at a pivotal moment in human history. At the, at the pivotal moment when she understood that she was pregnant with the, with the Son of God. And that God's redemptive plan was coming to fruition through her. She stood and she sang. And we are going to stand and we are going to sing too, 2,000 years later. And I understand that, that we are, it's December 3rd, Thanksgiving was like 10 days ago. We're probably still on this tryptophan coma thing. But we're going to stand and sing. I would encourage you, Sing. Don't don't sit there. Sing. Sing out to your God. Don't be shy. Maybe you won't know the words of the song. Whatever. Just, they're on the screen. Maybe you're a terrible singer. Sing anyways. You can't be worse than me. We're here to make much of Jesus. Singing like Mary makes much of him. Worrying about how we look or feel it doesn't. It doesn't make much of Jesus. So through the way that we finish this service, let's together as a body act in humility and magnify our Lord together. Let's pray.